Good morning, everyone. Daniel 9, or chapter 11, 1 through 20 is what we'll do today. And um, as I mentioned last week, this is mostly going to be a history lesson today. Um, what we'll talk about today is um, the fall of the Persian Empire to the Greeks, the Greek Empire, and the subsequent dividing up of the Greek Empire. And we'll see a lot of prophecies that um, were actually fulfilled within a, about a 200-year period from when Daniel receives this revelation um, leading up to um, the coming of Antiochus Epiphanes, which we will study that next week. So um, most of this information here I pulled out of um, Adam Clark, his commentary. I brought the cliff notes. <laughs> going to be reading a lot off of here. Um, you can find a lot of this. I think Josephus mentioned some of this. Um, parts of it are in the apocryphal books of First and Second Maccabees, which I see as history. And um, so I believe um, Marcus has already asked a blessing upon our Sunday school time. So with that, let's read our lesson. And the youth have been reading the lesson for the last three weeks. So let's start with Menno today with chapter 11, verse 1, and we'll read across and go back to give some of the rest of you a chance to read today. Thank you. 
Okay, thank you. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has his vision of a big statue, head of gold and a, a chest of silver, a belly and thighs of bronze and um, legs of iron and, and toes of a mixture of iron and clay. And um, that head of, of gold was, was the Babylonian kingdom we saw and then we see that the Persian Empire is the next kingdom represented in that statue. And then you have a kingdom coming after that represented by the bronze thighs, belly and thighs. Daniel has a, a vision in chapter 7 of four beasts coming up out of the sea. And um, they correspond with Nebuchadnezzar's um, vision of the statue. And there's a bear leaning on one side with three ribs in his mouth who, you know, several weeks back we discussed that and um, that's Persia, the Persian Empire who um, took over um, the Babylonian Empire. And then you see um, a leopard mentioned, a leopard with four wings and four heads. And that is um, the kingdom of um, Persia being defeated by this Greek Empire, which we're going to look at today. So this is kind of what we're going to talk about today, is the transition between the Persians and the Greeks. 
and um, Daniel chapter 8. All these build upon each other. Daniel chapter 8 was the ram and the goat. Once again, the Persians and the Greeks. You have a ram with two horns, one horn a little bit taller than the other one, representing the Mede and Persian Empire. Um, it starts out in um, chapter 11 here, speaking of um, the first year of Darius the Mede, and we started chapter 10, talking about the third year of Cyrus. Um, Cyrus and Darius actually reigned at the same time. They were from the same kingdom, the Medo-Persian Empire. They reigned at the same time. Um, they were co-kings, I guess you would call them. <coughs> Ultimately, in the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, the Persians gained the upper hand. They gained more control, more power. That's why you have one horn longer than the other one in um, chapter 8. And if you remember in chapter 8, you have this, this ram with two horns rushing north, south, east, west, all over the place, conquering and, and um, treading down nations, and no one could stop it. And then all of a sudden, here comes a goat, a shaggy goat with a long horn, and um, glides across the earth in rapid speed and destroys this ram, this two-horned ram, but then this long horn on this goat breaks off and four small horns come out in, in its place. You have this leopard with four heads in Daniel chapter 7, speaking of this same empire. And that's a little bit what starts out here in, um, in Daniel chapter 11. So it picks up with um, this angelic being speaking with Daniel and he's talking about um, this battle behind the scenes you know the, with the, the prince of Persia withstanding him and um, when he's gone forth the prince of Greece will come and chapter 11 starts out you know where, where, um, where this angel stood with Darius the Mede to confirm and strengthen him and you know that just gets me back to kind of the message we've seen early on in Daniel. God raises up kingdoms and brings kingdoms down. And it's very strange looking at um, the elections this year. <laughs> it's very strange. Never seen anything like it at all. Um, how this is playing out and it's, I don't know, I guess nothing will surprise me anymore after 2020. And I know everybody says, oh, I can't wait till 2020 is over and we're into 2021. And so far, we've had a lot of excitement in the first week of 2021 also. But remember, um, there are two kingdoms only. <laughs> only two kingdoms. Kingdom of Christ and the kingdoms of this world. And ultimately, we know God is in control. Um, though you see, um, I think, behind evil empires, you see... Um, satanic influence. We talked a little bit about that last week. But know for sure that God raises up kingdoms and brings kingdoms down. Ultimately, God's in control. And I guess whoever sits in the White House, I mean, it can affect us in some ways, um, physically and materially and things like that. But ultimately, can it affect us spiritually? No. No, it can't. <laughs> Um, there are people in other countries that are, are struggling far more than we ever do here, um, and yet they have a vibrant Christianity. Um, you see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego under, I would call it, deplorable conditions, 
and yet they're thriving spiritually, and God's using them in, in mighty ways, and, and he actually blesses them in these kingdoms and places them in, in positions of leadership and, and um, gives Daniel all these visions. And so it really doesn't matter who is sitting in the White House or who is sitting on the throne in any nation, actually. Um, we serve Christ. And that is one of the big ultimate messages that I take out of the book of Daniel. Even if I didn't get anything else, it's like God's on the throne. He's in control. This world will throw everything at you. <laughs> the devil will throw everything at you through the world. But um, we're not to be conformed to this world. Um, we belong to Jesus Christ, and that's who we serve. So he goes on and um, begins to talk about the fall of the Persian Empire. Now, this is in the very beginning of the Persian Empire, and he's already talking about the Greeks are coming. Um, in verse, let's see here, verse 2, he says, I will show you the truth. There shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth will be far richer than they all. And by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Grecia. So... If you take from Cyrus and Darius here, and, and there's three more kings following them, um, Cambyses was the son of Cyrus. He's the next king after Cyrus. And then there's a guy, and, and don't ask me how this happened. I didn't really dig too deep into this because there's a lot of information here. A man named Smyrtus is the next king after Cambyses. Smyrtus only reigned seven months. I guess he convinced everyone he was another one of Cyrus's sons, but he really wasn't. Somehow or other, he, he's king for seven months. His name is Smyrtus. Um, he's replaced by another Darius. Another Darius replaces him, who is um, the son of Cyrus's daughter. So this is Cyrus's grandson, Darius. And from what I um, was reading, Darius begins um, trying to push up into Europe, actually. Um, during his reign... He, he pushes north up into Europe from, from the Persian Empire. And he, his biggest trouble is getting a supply line long enough to support this, this military endeavor. And he gives it up, but he starts going north. Um, following Darius is um, Xerxes, also known as Ahasuerus, the Book of Esther. So this Xerxes or Ahasuerus, this is the, the king who reigned in the time of Esther. He is the one who put away his wife Vashti. And um, then they sought for a wife for him and Queen Esther. This is that um, king. His, his reign was um, in the 400s B.C. It coincides with um, the second return or is the third return. We talked about there was three returns of the exiles. I believe his was the third return in 444 B.C. So this is, um, this is almost 100 years after um, um, the Persian Empire takes over the Babylonian Empire by the time Xerxes is reigning. So he is the fourth king, um, Esther's husband, um, the richest king of them all. It says... a. a a fourth shall be far richer than they all. So this man was, was very rich. He had the money that Darius probably wished he had when he was trying to go up into Europe. This Xerxes decides to attack Greece. 
he decides he's going to attack Greece. And um, he had an army, from what I read, of five, over five million, almost six million soldiers. Um, he had chariots, he had ships, just a, a mighty military. And um, he also had another country that was an ally of his who provided another, was it two, three million soldiers. So this is a huge army this guy has. They said he could drain the rivers dry and still never run out of money to support his army. So he was a very rich man. And um, he goes after Greece. He takes 300 soldiers and goes after Greece, and he's not able to subdue it. Even with all that wealth and all that money, he's not able to subdue Greece. And that's kind of where we lose sight of, of Xerxes. It doesn't go any more beyond that. It just mentions that um, he was far richer, and by his strength and through his riches, he'll stir up everyone against the realm of Greece. So he begins this, this stirring up. He attacks Greece. It creates a lot of animosity, and another king stands up that will rule with great dominion. This is verse 3. Now, this is the Greek king, Alexander the Great, stands up, and this is actually a hundred years after Xerxes, believe it or not. There's more kings after Xerxes, but this, the damage has been done. He attacks Greece, and Alexander the, Grace, Alexander the Great does not forget that. Alexander the Great is um, trying to build his own empire, and, and he's now at this time, 400 or 100 years later, he's beginning to conquer nations, and historians look at this and they say, you know, I wonder what would have happened if Xerxes would have left Greece alone. I wonder if Alexander the Great would have left Persia alone. I guess we'll never know because Alexander the Great was angry. He had a vendetta against the Persian Empire, and he attacks them with um, lightning speed for its time. You know, now we can go in with helicopters and warships and tanks. You can mobilize an army in just a matter of days and go to another country and, and attack it. Well, for its time, he um, was, was swift for its time, and he moves in and he defeats Darius III in 331 B.C. And this is recorded in um, first chapter of First Maccabees as well. If any of you have uh, a genuine Luther's Bible, it should be in there. And um, so he defeats this kingdom, the Persian Empire. Now it's the Greek Empire. And um, all of a sudden, the shaggy goat's horn is broken off. This is a fulfillment of, of part of Daniel chapter 8. This horn is broken off. Alexander the Great represents this horn on, on this shaggy goat, the Greek Empire. The horn's broken off, and four horns grow up in its place. And what happens here in verse 4, it says, When he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and be divided toward the four winds of heaven, not to his posterity or according to his dominion which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others besides those. Alexander the Great left behind a widow who was six months pregnant. They didn't know what to do about that because is this going to be a boy or a girl? Will he be the heir or not? We don't know what to do with this kingdom. He had no, no successor. And there was a man who reigned for a time till they could kind of figure that out. And ultimately, um, 
It was his wishes that the kingdom is divided amongst Alexander's four generals. And so that's what they do. They divide his kingdom up between the four generals, and the four generals aren't content to have a portion of the Greek empire to rule. They want it all. Each one wants it all. And in the meantime, Alexander the Great's family, any of his, any of his close relatives, one by one are um, murdered. They're, some are poisoned, some are are killed and others are killed in retaliation back and and this goes on so within 15 years of Alexander the Great's death he has no posterity just like it says here in, in um, verse 4 it's not given to his posterity or according to his dominion his kingdom will be plucked up and given to others his generals his four generals and for the next 20 years his four generals fight back and forth over control of the Greek Empire so it's beginning to kind of implode upon itself already um, now we're getting into this, this stuff can be intimidating and confusing. Back and forth, back and forth. It's going to talk about the king of the north and the king of the south for the rest of this chapter. You know, and, and once in a while a marriage is thrown in there and, and you wonder what is all that about? Well, this is, this is fighting now. It's 20 years of, of warfare between his four generals have boiled the kingdom down to the north, which is primarily what was known as Syria, the, the Greek or Hellenized Syrian Empire, which also included parts of Turkey and, and the Middle East, but it, it slowly begins to diminish on them. The king of the north, that's the king of the north, known because it's north of Israel. The king of the south, south of Israel, was um, Egypt and um, Libya and, and parts of North Africa. That's the king of the south. Um, the Seleucid Empire is the king of the north. It's also known as, as the Seleucid Empire. King of the south was also called the Ptolemaic Empire. So that's what this king of the north and king of the south means. The various rulers, the Seleucids or the Ptolemaics. And they fought wars now. I read somewhere like five or six wars are fought for control of um, the Greek Empire. This is still the Greek Empire, but it's all split up now into two kingdoms. So that's where we're going to be going with this, and that's kind of why I just chopped the thing up into 20 verses here, because there's a lot of, a lot of stuff here, and um, I thought it's kind of important to at least hit upon it, because it kind of shows you um, Israel starts out um, belonging to the south, but Eventually, they end up belonging to the north, which turns out not to be too good for them. So this kind of traces all that. So we'll just kind of go through a little bit about this, uh, of this, and um, you'll see how this is fulfilled. So verse 5 here, it says, The king of the south shall be strong, and one of his princes... And he shall be strong above him and have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion. So the king of the south, who is strong, was Ptolemy Lagos. And he's a general in control of Egypt. The prince that is stronger is Seleucus Nicator. And that's the north kingdom. That would be Syria, Egypt and Syria, the king of the south, Ptolemy in control of Egypt, the king of the south that is stronger is Seleucus Nicator, the king of the Syrian empire. 
the Greek Syrian Empire. And that would have been Syria, Babylon, um, Medo-Persia, the for former Medo-Persia. So here comes um, the first alliance. They try to make an alliance. You ever wonder why Solomon had so many wives? He wasn't in love with them. A lot of them came in peace treaties. You made a peace treaty with another nation and, and here, have some wives as part of this peace treaty. We'll send you some wives and our people and your people can um, be related. And, and that's what they did in those days. And Solomon got a lot of wives that way. And this is the same thing that happens here. So they joined themselves together with the peace treaties and Ptolemy, the, the king of the south. Now this is Ptolemy... Philadelphus, he has a daughter named Berenice, and he decides as part of this peace treaty, um, I'm going to give Berenice to Antiochus Theos. You know, notice the title Theos. <laughs> These guys thought they were gods, much like Nebuchadnezzar, named after Nebo. Um, he names um, Daniel Belteshazzar, named after Bel, the king that... Um, the Babylonian Empire, when he fell, that was Belshazzar, saw the handwriting on the wall, named after Bel, a uh, Babylonian deity. So these guys all thought they were gods. And this is Antiochus Theos. There are several Antiochuses mentioned here in, in this chapter. And so Berenice comes and, and marries Antiochus Theos. And um, as part of this deal here, Antiochus is already married. He, he has a wife named Laodice. And a, and a son, and he puts Laodice and her son away and takes Berenice to be his wife. And at some point, he brings Laodice back. And Laodice is jealous, and Laodice poisons Berenice and Antiochus, poisons them both, and sets her son upon the throne. Her son's name is Seleucus Callanicus. Now he's the king. So this would be verse 6 when it talks about they join themselves together for the king's daughter of the south will come to the king of the north. That's Berenice in a peace treaty and makes an agreement, but she shall not retain the power of the arm because she was poisoned. Berenice is poisoned along with Antiochus Theos and she'll be given up and they that brought her and he that begat her. Her father dies. Ptolemy Philadelphus dies and he that strengthens her in these times but out of a branch of her roots, in verse 7, one will stand up. Well, this is Ptolemy Eugertes. That's her brother. Ptolemy Eugertes is angry now. This, now he's, he's on the throne in, in the south, in Egypt. And he comes against Seleucus Callinicus in revenge. And he takes captives. He comes with an army, enters into the fortress of the king of the north, and deals against them and prevails. And in verse 8, he carries away captives into Egypt. He plunders their temple and takes their gods and their princes and all their precious vessels of silver and gold. And he continues more years than the king of the north. And it is said here that um, Callinicus dies in exile. He falls off his horse and dies. That's how he dies. Um, Ptolemy outlives him by four or five years. So... He outlives the king of the, he continues more years than the king of the north. Um, we jump down to um, verse 10 here. Callinicus, now his sons, it says, shall be stirred up 
and assemble a multitude of great forces, and one shall certainly come and overflow and pass through. Then shall he return and be stirred up even to his fortress. So the sons of Callinicus, now they assembled to fight um, the kingdom of the south, the kingdom of, of Egypt, or the Ptolemaic Empire. And um, so one of Callinicus' sons did not have the money to, um, to assemble an army, and he's poisoned in the meantime. But now comes Antiochus the Great, one of the other sons of Callinicus, and he overcomes the Egyptian general, Nicholas, and he retakes um, the Seleucid Empire, or Syria, back from the king of the south. So that's what verse 10 is talking about. So then, verse 11, the king of the south is moved with choler, anger, and he comes forth and fights with them, even with the king of the north, and sets forth a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into his hand, and when he hath taken away the multitudes, his heart will be lifted up, and he shall cast down many ten thousands, but he shall not be strengthened by it. So Antiochus the Great, um, there's a, a battle between Ptolemy Philopater, this is another Ptolemy now, Ptolemy Philopater, and Antiochus the Great, and um, Ptolemy Philopater gains a victory back again. But instead of doing away with Antiochus the Great and his empire, just doing away with them, putting an end to this once for all, he makes a peace deal with them. And um, that leads to greater trouble down the road. So, you know, if he would have put it down, Antiochus wouldn't come back 14 years later. But in verse 13, the king of the north shall return and shall set forth a multitude greater than the former. His army grows over 14 years, and shall certainly come after certain years with a great army and with much riches. So Antiochus the Great returns 14 years later against Ptolemy Epiphanes. Now he's calling himself Epiphanes as well. This Ptolemy is also considering himself a god. And this Epiphanes, Ptolemy Epiphanes, is actually a minor and he has a larger army and, and a lot of riches as well. So that's um, verse 13. And it says in 14, In those times there shall many stand up against the king of the south. Also the robbers of thy people shall exalt themselves to establish the vision, but they shall fall. So Antiochus, from the Syrian empire here, he forms an alliance with a uh, king of Macedon, which would be the north part of the Greek peninsula. His name was Philip, the king of Macedon. He forms an alliance with him against Egypt. And there were also um, Jews who revolted from Judaism. And they go down to Egypt and join Ptolemy's army under an a Egyptian um, military commander named Scopus. And apparently these Jews, they had a larger vision that they were going to build a temple, a replica of the Jewish temple found in Jerusalem. They were going to build this thing in Egypt. And I was looking for it, and I could not find it. I'll have to look some more. But there's a prophecy in Isaiah where they seem to believe that what this prophecy was telling them, that the Jews and the Egyptians would be one people. And they thought they could fulfill this prophecy if they went down and built this temple. 
So they get down there to, to join this, this Egyptian army, and while they're there, they switch sides. And they join Antiochus, which makes um, Ptolemy quite angry. And Ptolemy sends an army to subdue the Jews. He um, ransacks Jerusalem, puts guards in Jerusalem, and this is what it's talking about um, here in, in verse 14. And um, the king of the south and the, the robbers of thy people shall exalt themselves to establish the vision. That was the vision. Build this temple down there, but they shall fall. And um, the king of the north comes and casts up a mount and takes the most fenced cities, and the arms of the south shall not withstand. Neither shall his chosen people, neither shall there be any strength to withstand. Now this was kind of bad news for Israel because Antiochus, the king of the north, he decides to bail out Israel. Because, well, these guys left um, Scopus, and they came and joined us, and I'm going to defend them. And he um, fights for them, and he defeats the Egyptian army. He takes um, Jewish captives back, restores them back to Israel, and um, does away with um, the garrison that Scopus had set up in, in Israel. He does away with the guards that scope is set in Jerusalem, and you think, well, that would be a good thing. But now Israel's under control of the king of the north, which will be bad for them um, in the future. So that takes us through verse 15. And 16 and 17 is kind of what I just talked about here. Um, Antiochus the Great showed great favor to the Jews. Um, he brought back those who had been dispersed, as I mentioned, for um, their turning um, away from Egypt and, and joining his forces. Um, he that cometh against him shall do according to his own will, and none shall stand before him. He shall stand in the glorious land, which is Israel. Um, verse 17, now Antiochus the Great, he's got an idea now that I've... Um, got Israel, the control of, of Palestine, and um, got the Jews now on my, in my kingdom, I think I'm going to go after Egypt. I think I'll, I'll mount an invasion, but then he has second thoughts. And it says, He will set his face to enter with the strength of his whole kingdom and upright ones with him. Thus he shall do, and he shall give him the daughter of women corrupting her. So he decides, well, you know what? I'm going to... Um, I'm going to pull a trick on, on the king of Egypt here. I'm going to give him my daughter. This is Cleopatra. Antiochus the Great had a daughter named Cleopatra. Um, he it calls her the daughter of women. Apparently she was the most beautiful woman that eyes had ever laid on. And he's, I'm going to give Ptolemy here in, in Egypt, I'm going to give him my daughter. And I'm going to corrupt her. In other words, I'm going to tell her, um, you be a thorn in his side. You know, everything he wants to do, just get in his way. Get in his way. Help me out. And um, it goes on to say, well, she does not stand on his side, nor is she for him. She gets down to Egypt. She marries Ptolemy, and she falls in love. <laughs> she falls in love with Ptolemy, and, and she's on his side Ptolemy's purposes and, and agenda now becomes Cleopatra's purpose and agenda. And this does not work. He intends her. 
to be a snare, but um, it backfires on him. So in the next couple minutes here, um, so Antiochus, now this does not work. So he turns his face unto the islands. Now he's talking uh, more about um, the coast of um, the Mediterranean, um, Greece, um, some of the, the Greek islands. And he sends a fleet of 300 ships and um, gets into a battle now with, with um, someone named Achilles Glabrio. And this is a Roman general. The Roman Empire at this time is starting to grow. They're just, just taking off here. And he gets into this battle. He is beaten by the Romans. And the Romans, as they defeat him, they said, okay, you have to pay for this war. And you start out with a down payment today. When the Roman Senate ratifies the peace treaty, you give us the second installment. And then for the next 12 years, you're going to pay this off. He has no money to do this. He does not have the money to pay for this. Um, the kingdom of the north is in trouble. Um, he has, does not have the money. He's exacting taxes. Um, he's really struggling to pay for them. It's a reproach, it says in verse 18. And he causes his own people to turn upon him. He turns his face toward the fort of his own land, and he will, shall stumble and fall and not be found. And he's trying hard to tax the people and come up with the money to pay for this war. And he goes to a place called Elymas, where he, and, and from what I understand, this was in the Persian, the old Persian Empire. It would be in, um, from what I was reading, Susa, which would be located in modern-day Iran. And he's raiding a temple. It says the temple, the temple of Jupiter Bellus. I read elsewhere the, the temple of Baal. And he's raiding this temple for all the money and things he can find here. And in the middle of that, he is killed in battle. And in his place, um, verse 20 here, then shall stand up in his estate a razor of taxes in the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days he shall be destroyed, neither in anger nor in battle. So verse 20 ends with um, the successor of Antiochus the Great, who dies plundering a temple. Now Seleucus Philopater, he inherits this huge war debt. And the same thing, you know, he's, he's um, how am I going to get this money to pay for this? He um, gets a tax collector named Helidorus, and he sends Helidorus, and this account is also in Maccabees, he sends Helidorus to Jerusalem, to the temple. Well, I know they got money in the temple. We're going to raid the temple. We're going to get the money out of the temple in Jerusalem, and that's going to help us pay for this war. Um, Jerusalem is called the glory of the kingdom here in verse 20. There, he's a raiser of taxes and the glory of the kingdom. That's what it's speaking about. And um, this is Seleucus Philopater and Helor. Heliodorus, well, Heliodorus does not want to be a tax collector. He wants to be a king. And the last thing in today's lesson is Heliodorus kills um, Seleucus Philopater. Now I can be king, not just a tax collector. Why you'd want to be king and inherit all that, de all that debt is beyond me. Um, but that's what he does. And this sets up... Um, Antiochus Epiphanes, which gets into the next few verses. So that um, wraps up this history lesson. I don't know, does anybody have anything 
um, they want to throw out here. Um, there's so much information on this, I, I skimmed it. I basically grabbed Adam Clark and took what Adam Clark said, and he got his stuff from Josephus and, and different historical accounts. I did not have the time to sit and read Josephus. <laughs> Anybody have anything else? There's a lot more. I, I downloaded stuff to my phone, and I just diluted it to what I could get in here in about 35 minutes. It's a lot of information. <laughs> it, it's fascinating. I find it very fascinating. And it, it shows fulfillment of Scripture, and it also um, shows um, how th things get set up for, for um, the rise of um, Antiochus and some of the troubles that Israel is about to go through. So with that, then, if there's no more comments, um, I will dismiss the class.